0: Hello, my beautiful beans. Welcome back and welcome to anyone that's new to the community. Uh, today we are on episode 74 and what I want to be talking about is how to let go of unrealistic expectations to improve your relationship. Um, I was going to do one on improving it like with yourself, but today I'm going to focus on relationships in particular ones that you are like in a romantic relationship with, but this can 100% apply to friendships and relatives as well. I'm just, my examples though, are going to be based around a romantic relationship when you were in an intimate relationship with a, another person. Okay. Before we get into all of that quick weekly update, which won't go for that long because not not too much is going on. I think we're in like week 10 or 11 of the lockdown in Sydney. So that's, you know, going great. Something that I did start to do though, and I'm absolutely loving it, is I've started to do these like long walks with my friend Roisin and we go to a little, um, harbor beach and we do some laps in the water, obviously. And it is so, so good. You have no idea. Like I cannot wait till things open up so I can be going to like those, um, ice bath sauna places again, because, those days that I get into the ocean and mind you, it's not even that cold. The ocean here is not that cold. We're pretty sport. It's good. It's fucking fresh when you get in, but in the scheme of what cold is, it's fine. And we do like four laps of like this, you know, I don't, I couldn't even tell you how long that is, but The clarity you get in your mind after doing that, you feel so amazing. And one of the really good things that they recommend you do when you do ice bath dips and all of that, I need to like look into this further and do a podcast on it because it's very fascinating. But it's this idea of when you do get out of the cold, to not straight away like warm yourself up to then like rug up and then go home. Apparently, one of the best things you can do for your nervous system is allow your body to then naturally warm up. So what Roisin and I do, we get out of the water and then we stand on the sand for a bit. We just chat a little bit, just for like a couple, five minutes or so, standing up as we're naturally, like our body's trying to heat ourselves back up um, before we then get dressed again and walk home. It is so good for the mind. I cannot, like honestly, it's, I'm, I want to make this like a part of my life just permanently with or without lockdown, it is incredible. So I highly recommend that if you are in a place where you can access um, a body of water and if possible, you know, natural body of water, a beach, a lake, a river, whatever, then give it a go. Even in winter, it is just absolutely phenomenal for the brain. Um, and there's, I think I've spoken about this before, but all the links between, you know, cold water therapy and brain health and, you know, reduction in stress and depression and, the, you know, the, and the 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 enhancement of other like neurotrophins and neurotransmitters as well. It's very, very cool. Anyway, so that's all I'm going to talk about about my week. Something that I did want to discuss, and this came up on the um, Facebook page, and I thought I'd bring it up on the podcast as well because it's a very interesting topic and I'll give my opinion on it, but also because I had a lot of people DM me about this as well. But it's the concept of do you delete photos of your ex um, once you've broken up, like say it's on your Instagram or your Facebook. And of course you would have uploaded more than likely photos of you and your ex. What do you do with those photos once you've broken up? And I've seen a whole bunch of people like write their opinions and this and that. Some people saying, you know, print them all out and keep them and then delete them off the page. Some people saying, just keep them. Some people saying, don't. So I think when it comes to this scenario, it's very case dependent on what your relationship was like, what the relationship represents to you now, okay? That's the most important thing. How do you feel about that relationship now looking back? What response does it elicit in you, okay? Before we even talk about that, just for a second, also you want to look at it from the perspective of, let's say you start dating someone and they've got photos of their ex on their page. And how do you interpret that? How do you react to that? I personally think that, If you want to keep photos of your ex on your page within reason, it depends what the photos are, but if it's, you know, within reason, of course, um, I don't think there's a problem with that at all. You know, if I was dating someone who had photos of their ex on their page, I wouldn't I wouldn't care at all that everybody is entitled to their past. And if the photos are sitting back in their feed representing a time in their life, I'm not going to get remotely offended to that. I'm not going to think, oh, you, you should never have those photos. You should delete them. You should have never dated that person. You should not at all. I don't like it doesn't phase me. In the slightest and it never has. So I don't think you should ever try and tell your partner to go into their past and delete photos of their ex unless unless you might have a personal, let, let's say there was like a drama where the ex is still involved in their life and really, impact, then, then you can open that up for discussion and say, look, I feel uncomfortable with X, Y, Z. But if it's something that's done and dusted in the past, I wouldn't really care about it. Okay. Now looking at from your perspective, if you're going to look at what I personally, me, Alexis have done, if you're talking about my Instagram, I have deleted all all traces of my exes on my Instagram. Like literally, if you were to scroll down on my Instagram, you would not really know who I would have dated in the past or anything remotely like that. There's no trace of it. Um, on my Facebook, I do think th- way back because I'm, I'm, my Facebook is like literally and it's where photos go to die. It's like an abandoned graveyard for like the photos of Alexis's life. It's hectic. It's a, it's a hot mess. Um, but there would be photos of my exes on my Facebook for sure. Okay, so my personal opinion on the whole thing is if the person was toxic and if the breakup was really like awful and someone treated someone else badly, my belief and what I would do, delete those photos, delete those photos. You fucking have enough of those toxic memories in your head that likely will never go away. So if you want to revisit it, all you have to do is just blink and those images and memories are going to come into the forefront of your mind. Okay. You're not going to fucking forget like a horrible traumatic relationship. Okay. So in, in that respect, I would be getting rid of them as I have. I've gotten rid of all traces because I think the way I look at it is my Instagram, for example, is not some fucking free-for-all for people to have an insight into my past. So I don't care if it looks like a true representation of my past or not. I don't care. I don't care what people think about it. I don't care if it only looks like the good. It's my fucking Instagram and I do what I want with it. So I don't need for there to be a strict timeline of what occurred in my life for people to understand my past. That's not necessary. So having said that, if someone represents a time in my life that doesn't make me happy, goodbye to all traces of that person. I don't need any memorabilia. I don't need fuck all. However, if the person was a legend and you parted ways and it doesn't affect you at all, and there's no emotional kind of, there's no residual like um, leftover shit going on after that, and you can truly say that you're over that person, it's fine, you know, I'm happy to enter a new relationship and whatever, then I just don't see the problem in that. I think many, many people can have a really mature way of ending a relationship, still be on civil terms or just decide not to talk, whatever, and I don't see a problem with your exes being in those photos. I genuinely don't. However, if you're umming and ahhing about it and you're not really sure what to do, I think your best bet initially, especially, I don't know if Facebook does this. If you're on Instagram, just archive the photos and see how you feel. That's what I did. I actually archived some photos for, you know, for the initial period after a breakup once. And then I was like, oh, I love it so much more without this person in my feed. May And then I went and deleted them. But you might archive them and then after like the hectic breakup, you feel, wow, I don't I don't really resent this person. I don't I don't feel bad when I think about this person. When I see this person, it doesn't elicit a bad response. I might as well keep them on my feed because, you know, they did bring me something good in my life and I want to keep them there. That's fine. It's fine to honor your ex's memory you know as far as you know yeah they were a good person we did have great memories we had a good time we just didn't work out if that's the case what's wrong with those photos being there i don't care like if Tyrone has photos of all his exes on his instagram and they and they treated him well and he treated them well i wouldn't give a flying fuck if they're there because they did exist you know what i mean doesn't phase me so that's how i want to look at it it ultimately comes down to When you look at those photos, are the feelings warm and fuzzy and you think, good on you, hope you're having a great time, hope you have a good life, or do you think, oh, my God, I just remembered that horrible time that this happened and this happened, you know, that's ultimately for me what it comes down to. Okay. Now something very, very quick. It's a bit like a, it's a fun brain fact. Now, when I talk about a fun brain fact, this truly is more like a a trivia fact. I'm not going to go into some hectic cell biology as I tend to do quite often. So basically what I wanted to talk about very quickly is something called Troxler's fading, Troxler's fading or the Troxler effect. So it's like an optical illusion basically. Um, and what it is, it's so amazing is that it, you can you can look this up online and it's got like little picture examples for you to do the exercise but basically it shows you that your brain will filter out this is for the visual system your brain will filter out any stimuli that it deems to be irrelevant or unnecessary okay so if you google it online you can look at this photo and there'll be like a black cross in the middle and everything that's around it whether it's a drawing or whatever if you stare at the cross in the middle and you focus as much as you can on that cross without focusing on what's in your peripheral, it's based on what you're focusing on, the picture actually around that cross vanishes, it disappears. Even if you take it to the next step and you have more bright, intense colors, it still disappears. And that is because your brain is conserving energy and it's only, it gets to a point where your brain kind of filters things out. If it doesn't deem it necessary, and if your attention is not needed for it. So, this, when it's visually, that often is going to happen for things that are A, in the background that you're not focusing on directly. If you focus on something directly, it's not going to disappear, obviously. And then B, if it's not moving. So then there's another Troxler effect, like thing that you can find. It's so easy to find online. You type it, and it'll be one of the first things that comes up. But it's a black cross, and there's all these like purple circles around the cross. And then there's like a a little video, and then there's a moving fluoro green circle that is going around around in circles. um, That kind of rolls on top of the purple circles. And what happens when you stare at the cross is that the fluoro green one stays in your field of vision, but the purple circles underneath the green one vanish because they're not moving. The green one is moving. So it stays in your peripheral vision. It's really interesting. And what, what, also is occurring with the mind and why things aren't constantly disappearing out of our field of vision is our eyes have something called micro saccades and it's like a saccade It's like a small shifting movement made by the eyeballs. You can actually look, do it with your friend or whoever's next to you, just stare at their eyeballs and you can actually, they do these tiny little shifts every so often. They're like shifts side to side, up and down, normally side to side. And that is kind of, we don't know if this is causal or or just a correlation. We're not sure. But but due to that, they find that it kind of prevents your brain from filtering out things because because your eyeball is shifting from side to side. It makes the field, vis- like your visual field shift as well. So therefore these, you know, if you're staring at a city, for example, and you're looking at one building, therefore, when you do that in general, the other buildings aren't like falling out of your field of vision okay so it it works better when you're staring at like a piece of paper with less distractions but you're also going to notice that the brain has this amazing ability to filter out stimuli all the time. And for example, if you're really paying attention to what someone is saying, you can be at a restaurant and someone's having a conversation right next to you. And if your attention isn't there, your brain has filtered it out. It just sounds like background noise, but you can be then staring at the person that you're talking to and shift your focus. And instantly that conversation is crisp and clear, and you can hear everything that that person is saying. So the brain has this incredible ability to filter out what we don't deem necessary whether it's sound whether it's smell you can see that with people that live in a household where there's like a you know for example sometimes you walk into people's homes and it smells like cat and you're like this is fucking hectic and, but the person that lives there has no concept of that smell because they've gotten accustomed to it so the brain stops sending them that signal you know the same goes for of course well, well visually i just explained auditory smell the same goes for touch as well remember like with with you know, when I remember when I first started wearing a bra, the thought of this strap across my chest, squeezing tight. I was like, this is the most fucked thing ever. How do people do it? How do people do it? Now I don't even feel it, obviously, because that sense of touch, we, we just got used to it. You know, when you wear a brand new bangle and it feels weird on your arm and then before you know it, it feels weird if you don't have it on, like that kind of thing. Okay. So I guess what's the most fascinating thing about this whole thing is the brain's ability everything ultimately everything's an illusion like our brain is telling us what it decides is necessary and what it decides is not necessary and that's kind of then links into this whole reticular activating system where it seeks out things that we need to be high like highly aware of like you know if you want to buy a you know a red bloody jeep and then all you see are red jeeps everywhere it's because your brain is highly aware so it's filtering specific things in and out okay now i will be talking about i'll do it like an episode on like um i guess manifestation and visualization all of that it's kind of like using those tools to get things in your life but more from a neuroscience perspective um and it does heavily base it's heavily based around that what you're allowing your brain to filter in and filter out really really interesting stuff okay Um, now let's get into the actual topic of the episode and it's letting go of unrealistic expectations to improve your relationships. As you listen to everything that I have to say in this episode, as always, I really want you to consider it, consider what I'm saying from your perspective, but just as importantly, from the perspective of the other person, your partner, your friend, your relative, you become a better communicator a better friend, a better partner, when you can see what people experience or when you try to see what people experience from the receiving end. They are on the receiving end of you, okay? A lot of this stuff that I talk about, you might be doing to someone else or someone else might be doing it to you. So it's important to identify when it's happening to you, but also identify when you're doing it to someone else and pull yourself up on it. All this stuff that you do, identifying your own behavior, acknowledging where things could change, that is one of the biggest steps you can do for clarity, peace of mind. Happiness and self-love, okay? The more you can acknowledge where changes can be made and lose that emotional attachment to having to be right and having to stand by what you've always stood by, the happier you are going to be. I can guarantee you that. So every time you hear an example, flip it both ways. Is this happening to me? Am I doing it to someone else, okay? Now, what is an unrealistic expectation? So an unrealistic expectation is where you think you have control over something or someone that you actually don't have control over. So this goes for, you know, controlling other people, but it also goes for things about yourself, life situations, and how you expect to be treated by the world in general or society in general. Sometimes the most empowering thing you can do is to realize where you have no power or where you have no pull and just let it go. Let that resistance go, you know, to learn which areas in your life You can just accept as they are. And then based on that knowledge of just accepting things as they are, you can then choose to raise the issue. You can choose to just live with it, or you can choose to end it or leave. Okay. That's, that's the beauty of understanding where you don't have power over. If you think that you've got power over a certain person in a particular scenario where you actually don't. You are wasting your time and energy and you are creating unnecessary stress in your life. To think that you can change someone's mind or to think that you can see something, you can get them to see something from your perspective is exhausting and it's, it's stress and anxiety provoking. I can tell you that right now. It is liberating to know when to let go and when to fight your battle. That is one of one of the best things you can do to yourself. It's the biggest gift you can give to yourself, okay? Now, a lot of this does stem from the idea that you of of people needing to be right or needing the other person to understand when they're wrong or or around our morals, okay? So let's look at some examples of unrealistic expectations. Okay, I'm just gonna go through a bunch of them. So expecting people to react or to respond the same way that you do. When you've never seen them as part of uh, that as part of their personality. So, say you have an argument, you're expecting them to react to what you're talking about the same way you would react, okay? Um, another one, expecting people to meet your needs all the time without discussing it. Um, you know, you're expecting someone to basically read your mind. That's not fair. Expecting someone to be responsible for the trust issues caused for the last relationship. Again, that's kind of like a mind reader. You're saying, I'm not going to trust you and you've got to be okay with that because someone else fucked me over. That's just absolutely ridiculous. It's like saying someone else stole my jewelry so you are going to pay for it because that person can't. So you can though, so pay. That's exactly what you're trying to get the other person to do. It's like this idea of expecting someone to pick up the pieces from your last relationship. That's that's an unrealistic expectation. Expecting someone to constantly reassure you for something that they've already done so, okay? This just proves that you can do that yourself. For example, if you're someone that's really always wanting someone to say, oh, you know, I'm not going to cheat on you. I'm not cheating on you. He's proof that I'm not cheating on you. Reassuring, reassuring. If you're then constantly seeking that again and again, it's a extremely damaging for the relationship. It's extremely damaging for your trust mutually, both ways. And it's also something that you can provide for yourself. And you're expecting it from someone that can't ever provide it for you. If you're always going, back to your partner for reassurance on the same fucking thing again and again and again, that just proves to you that they can't provide it for you. That tiny moment of peace that you feel in that moment is an illusion. It's not true. It's not true relief. It's just like, oh, you've just satisfied this this, this um, insecurity that I have. But that insecurity is bred within you and can only be removed within you. Okay. Another one is expecting people to behave a certain way when they are around certain people. Like you're expecting them to put on this particular facade or character around people that you think they wouldn't want them behaving the way they normally behave. That's not very fair. You're basically saying, I want you to be someone else for my sake. Okay. Um... This is really common around, you know, like particular friendship groups. You expect them to speak a different way or or talk about certain topics that you want them to talk about. And this stems from feeling like identifying too strongly with your partner. I think a lot of people feel that they are so united and one with their partner that their partner is a direct representation of themselves. And that's very, like, it's a very egoic, ego thing to do, to think anything that my partner says or does represents me because I've chosen to be with them. That's not the case, okay? If we're talking things that are like extreme differences and moral differences, you need to be discussing that with your partner anyway. Okay. But if it's something that they're just different to you and you want them to behave differently because they're going to be your, you know, representative, that's unrealistic and unfair. Another one, expecting people to see things as you do. You know, we all have different upbringings. We've all had different experiences. What for you might seem like logical might not seem that way for someone else, okay? And in general, I'm talking about people here that are not toxic, that are just normal, non toxic people. They might just have had a different upbringing and. Something that for you is so easy to dismiss can cause someone else stress and anxiety. And for you to be like, oh, it's nothing, it's fine, could actually be bringing up awful memories for them. They're not going to perceive it the way you do unless you understand where they're coming from. And even then, they won't. Expecting people to have similar shared experiences to you, for example, upbringing, financial experiences, loving experiences, um, privilege, experiences of privilege or experiences of lack of privilege and also levels of education, okay? You've got to try your very best to seek to understand before presuming that they're going to have the same response to something based on their past experiences, okay? Uh, Expecting people to learn something the same way that you learn it, okay? And I learned this, this concept a lot when I was teaching Pilates. I used to get so frustrated when I'm like, How is it that half the class gets what I'm doing and the other half is just like baffled? And then I realized that is more of a reflection on how I'm teaching versus on that person. It doesn't mean that they're an idiot, it means that I need to find new ways of expressing what I'm trying to say until people understand. There's a difference between someone ignoring me and someone looking at me, trying to understand, but not understanding. That's more of a reflection on how well you are expressing yourself. And sometimes, it's not that well based on how someone interprets things, okay? And yeah, and I, ca- I became a much better teacher when I learned that and I became way more patient and I understood that people don't perceive things the way I do. The way something's worded is going to be interpreted differently by every single person. Expecting that a relationship will make you happy. You can become happy in a relationship and you can hold each other accountable for actions that are going to increase your happiness mutually, but that person is not going to make you happy without you changing things for yourself at the same time, okay? So you can't think that the reason I'm sad is because my partner left me and the reason I'm going to become happy is because you are now in a relationship with me. That is unrealistic, okay? Another one is expecting people to change for you. You can only ever change for yourself. If someone is changing for you, they are suppressing a part of themselves. That change has to come from within and they've got to see it as beneficial for themselves before they see it as beneficial for you. Okay. Um, Expecting guilt as a currency to work. Okay. And if that's the case, for example, if you try and guilt trip someone into going somewhere with you or to behaving a certain way or to not do certain things, like I hate it when you do this, it makes me feel this, so I don't want you to do that. Basically, what you're asking that person to do is either become less of themselves around you, um, to lie in the future about it, um, to resent you, um, or, or for the relationship to just dissolve in general, you know, because you're basically instead of sitting down and discussing, saying, all right, let, let let's flesh this out. This is this. There's an action that you're doing right now. I don't love it for these reasons. Can you let's talk about it. Instead, if you turn around and say, oh, if you do that, I get this, I get that I'm, you know, it's not fair, this and that, and make them feel guilty, then that person's going to feel attacked and they're going to feel like they are not living up to your standards. Um, to expect someone to do something that they don't want to do just to make you happy. For example, I want you to come to this party and stay to the very end of the night when I know that you don't want to. The idea of that, this concept of, oh, now that we're dating, we must be glued at the hip when you're a couple, that again stems to that representation that you think that your partner is your representative and that your relationship reflects part of who you are. We've got this crazy need to have an identity and for people to know that that identity is exactly how you want it to be. We've got this crazy desire for people to see us the way we want them to see us. And often when we enter a relationship, we include our partner in that. And we think, you know, I've got control over how I act, how I behave, how I respond in a situation. And now you also have to do that because you represent me. That's not fair. And you need to get rid of that. You need to stop seeing your partner as someone who represents you. You are two different people with two different upbringings, different experiences and different ways of perceiving the world. That person that you were dating does not represent you. They never do. They never did. They never will. Just like you don't represent them. So for someone to say, I want you at this party. I want you to stay as long as you, when they don't want to stay, that's selfish and it's not fair. Why can't you just learn to be two independent people that love each other, but can separate their lives when necessary. It's going to be way healthier for you. Your partner does not have to be there 24-7. And if you feel that your partner does have to be there 24-7, you probably have separation anxiety problems and you need to get that shit sorted. It is not up to your partner to fix that. Additionally, you should not feel offended when your partner doesn't want to take you to everything. Okay, That is natural and normal and actually healthy if you think that it's not fair that your partner doesn't fair enough if your partner is fully excluding you from a very important part of their life and never takes you there that's an issue that needs to be discussed but I'm talking about your partner saying oh, I'm just going to hang out with this these people just me or I just want to go see my family just myself tonight or I just want a night alone you can't expect to be glued at the hip all the time because if you have this expectation, then when they choose to do something without you, you are going to perceive that as a personal attack and it's going to hurt and then you're going to probably lash out by being like really short with them or being you know, immature and expecting them to find a way of apologizing or them having to crawl back the next day when you know when they've gone to the event without you and then you're being all shitty and moody the next day. That's not fair and it's unnecessary. What you want to think about is when when we have unrealistic expectations of other people, we're basically expecting people to do things that either are something that we can provide for ourselves emotionally, but we're expecting them to do it, doing something that would require them to be a mind reader, or doing something that is out of their character just because you want it, you know? Or lastly, taking responsibility for something that is your responsibility. That is basically those four points are pretty much what having unrealistic expectations are on other people. Now, when you are in a relationship, there are two people in the relationship in most cases, unless you're polyamorous, and but I'm just going to let's, let's use two people as an example. Okay. It is your decision and your partner's decision to enter that agreement. You have agreed that you're going to be exclusive with this person and you're both going to enter this mutually exclusive relationship. You can either be there or not. That's a choice that you make. And given that there are two people in the relationship, what you deem to be normal, quote unquote, outside of that, or acceptable based on how people behave in your family or in your friendship group is not something that needs to be brought into the relationship. So often you'll find that people say, all my friends think this, my family thinks this, to try and manipulate your partner to behave in a certain way or be a certain way. Okay? Okay. But you've got to realize that your partner isn't dating your family. Your partner isn't dating your friends. Your partner is dating you and you are dating them. So don't bring in a numbers game of I've got more people that agree with me on something that's occurring within my relationship that doesn't affect them. You can't do that because there's only two people in the relationship. There there are no outliers. There is no normal and abnormal when there's only two parties involved. Okay? Be very aware of that. Don't think that I'm right because I know all these people that agree with me that I'm right. That is not fair and that is pretty much saying that my opinion is more valid, my family's opinion, my friend's opinion are more valid than your opinion in this relationship that only involves the two of us, okay? That is not cool. Like there's no odd one out when there are two people involved. So knowing that, it's then up to you to decide, is this a healthy relationship? And is it a good idea for me to stay in this relationship or not? Given that, you know, there's only two of us here do, do do their actions line up with my morals or not? And then you make the decision based on that. But you can't try and manipulate them to be a certain way based on what you deem to be normal in society or normal in reality, okay? You can't do that. And this, this idea of people bringing in their family's opinions on a relationship into the relationship is a very you could be going down a a massive hole, uh, like a rabbit hole with this one, because it's okay to talk about external situations with your partner, of course, if it's like an open platform for discussion. And you can say, look, I think it would be good to do this because I've observed other people do this or I've observed that. But if you're going to go and talk about your relationship to other people that are not involved in your relationship. You've got to be quite careful with the information that you're receiving and then bringing it into the relationship. Like saying, well, it's not just me that thinks it, but everyone else thinks that you're wrong too. My whole family thinks that you're wrong. No, motherfucker. If you start doing that, then your partner can turn around and say, okay, well, I can find another popular population of people that agree with me. And then it's just a war of who's right and who's wrong outside of the relationship. They are dating You. What do you think? What do you want? What can you accept and what can't you accept? Fuck what your family is telling you. You can have these conversations with your family to help you get clear on a concept, but then don't bring in their opinions to the relationship. It's your opinion that matters. Get a spine and stand for something without needing your family to be your backup or your friends to be your backup as to why you think something's right or why you think something is wrong. It is your opinion that you're bringing to the table and then your partner can come back with their opinion. The fact that other people agree or disagree is just noise, background noise. That's not to say that you can't discuss what's occurring in your relationship with the people that are closest to you. Of course you can. It's healthy to do so. It's healthy to speak your mind, and it's very healthy to flesh out ideas or concepts in your mind about something that's going on in your personal life, and speak to people that you value their opinion. Of course, that's okay. You are you are entitled to do that. So is your partner. The problem is where you then don't stand for an, an idea, and you bring in someone else's idea into the relationship. So go and talk about it with your friends and family. Go and vent. Go and go and get clear on your ideas but then formulate your own idea based of these conversations, get clear on what you believe in, and then based on that belief, Belief, bring that belief into the relationship and talk about it, okay? Additionally, if you, both of you, as a couple, seek advice from a friend or seek advice from family, again, that's okay because you together, coming together saying, hey, guys, we want to know your opinion on something that's going on in our relationship. I know a lot of people do that with friends or with other couples where they kind of co-counsel each other. That's okay as long as you both agree that it's fine, okay? If you are both in agreement that you're going to seek external help, that is not a problem, now let's look at perceived norms. Often we will do something because we think it's normal, okay? And then if someone doesn't do it, we question them being like, oh, but what? Like, but it's just the done thing. This is where you need to pause and question yourself thinking just because it's the done thing doesn't mean that it's beneficial. Does it mean that I have to do it? Does it mean that it's that it's bad if I don't do it? Because a, a perceived norm is a not necessarily what's right for the relationship or your partner. It doesn't determine what you should do just because it's normal. And b, it might not be a norm for them. For example, let's take the let's take the example of um, taking the your partner's name when you get married. If you want to do it, fantastic. Go ahead. Be my guest. Be your own guest. Take the surname, but. Not, this idea of being offended because the woman didn't want to take the man's name, I think that's ridiculous because you're only getting offended because someone's not following a perceived norm that isn't really necessary. It's not really going to help the situation. And I can look at it from a very particular perspective because my parents they just celebrated their 40th wedding anniversary very successful marriage very much in love my mother never took my father's name so I don't see it as necessary for a relationship to be healthy and happy and when it comes to the children taking the, the surname fine take the dad's name take a hyphenated name you decide that amongst the couple I was having a discussion with someone actually recently and they were saying that like oh of course I'd take the the of course I'd take my partner's name, I wouldn't want my child growing up confused. And that again is this perception of a norm of, of of like what's culturally been the norm for so long, but without it being questioned. The child does not grow up confused. I don't consider myself confused. I don't consider myself in a crisis day in, day out because my mother never took my father's surname. I'm quite happy and calm about that decision that she made it doesn't really affect me at all and then it makes me wonder would i take the name that's a decision that i'll come to that decision when when i i'll cross that bridge when i come to it but this is a, this is an example a very very small example of this notion of there's a norm and it's up to you to question it or not but it's not wrong if you don't do it and and you shouldn't be offended if if some if your partner doesn't want to do it just because it's the norm and they've chosen to go against the norm, okay? You have to question these norms. Are they actually helping? Are they beneficial? Or is it just something that's peripheral that I can do or don't have to do and it's really not going to affect my life greatly? Another big one is uh, expectations around somebody's free time. And this is not just with um, couples, but also with friends and family. It's a big one. You don't have to spend all your free time with somebody, with your family, with your partner, with whatever. Free time, I don't even like... Uh, it, it almost is annoying when, when you look at it as free time because people think, oh, it's free, I have access to you. You know, you almost... People... People sometimes feel this need to, if they don't want to hang out with someone or if they just want to be alone, they have this need to fill up that time slot with an excuse. Oh, I'm just inundated, I've just got work to, I'm just gonna stay home, I'm just this, I'm just that. People have this, they feel so terrible to say, I just want to be alone tonight. I just want to have my me time. I just wanna chill and be alone. People feel whether they want to admit it or not, that they have some level of ownership or entitlement to that time slot of yours that belongs to you. It doesn't belong to them, you know. And, you know, a lot of people when they enter a relationship, they start the relationship seeing each other every day. It's the honeymoon period. Of course you're going to do that. It's really, that's you know, it's quite common that people at the start of a relationship get into a bubble, you know. But then that bubble kind of breaks and you go back to your reality of making sure that you're connecting with all the people in your circle but then you've almost reached that point where then you feel, wait a minute, I've I've given a standard to my partner where I'm available all the time. And every time I'm quote unquote free, it means that I have to now see them. You have to create some parameters here around this free time that we're talking about. You have to let your partner know in the kindest way possible. And it's reciprocal as well, that you do not own each other's free time and that it is never a personal stab when your partner says to you, I just want to be alone for tonight. They're not saying, I don't want to see you. They're saying, I want to be alone. You should feel the same way. You should feel comfortable enough to say exactly those words. You shouldn't feel guilty. And if you do feel guilty, it's because of this. As a couple, you have both created what you deem to be acceptable. And if you feel guilty about that, then maybe it's worth actually sitting down and raising it before you do it. Maybe it's worth sitting down saying, look, I just want you to know that no matter how much I love you, no matter how much I enjoy spending time with you, there are times and there are going to be many times in the future of our relationship, where I really just want to have a night to myself. And I never want you to take it as a personal stab because me wanting time for myself does not equal me not wanting to see you. They're two very, very different things. The same goes for family. I know families can be very big on the emotional blackmail and guilt of like, you never come and see me, you this, you that. If you have a really hectic timetable and then you have a night off, you should feel... Or you shouldn't feel guilty that that night off is spent just relaxing alone. You shouldn't feel like, oh, fuck, it's my free time. Now I have to fill it up with someone that wants that that wants access to my time. That's really crucial, especially when it comes to mental health and, you know, feeling less anxiety and self-love. It's crucial that you understand when it's necessary to put yourself first in these situations. You, you need to be doing it more often than you probably are. So when it comes down to it, the way you want to look at you know everything we're talking about as far as you know unrealistic expectations placing that on your partner or your partner placing those expectations on you you've got to really think about it like when you can get to a point where you can have realistic expectations over what your partner can deliver what you can control what you can expect from someone you know all of everything that I've all of the above or everything that I've mentioned when you can't get to that point you both in a relationship, you both feel heard, you both feel accepted, you feel more comfortable to be yourself. And then from this place of secure comfort and acceptance, you're more likely to want to meet in the middle whenever possible. You make room for each other because that person makes you feel accepted for who you are. That person makes you feel like it's okay that you are different. It's okay that you might not behave or respond in the exact same way. You make allowances for each other so you can meet in the middle. It's not one-sided. It's not, you know, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not this. I'm not that. If you are more accepting and more patient with the other person, you are more likely to meet each other in the middle. You are happier. You are more honest. You make more room for each other. You're more open. And therefore, you're closer and your relationship is so much stronger. I think a lot of people think, oh, we've got to be this inseparable thing tied at the hip. We've got to be so similar. No, you don't. Because then if your identity is so heavily tied to the relationship, you then feel almost like stifled. You then start to feel like, oh, where where, where does my identity And the identity of the relationship, where's that line? And it's a bit blurred. You are still individuals. And if you can respect that about each other and if you can have your space when needed and have your own opinions and still be yourself no matter who you are around, no matter which of the social circles of of your partner that you're around, if you can still be you, you're going to feel that that person loves you for you, not because you're behaving a certain way that, that fulfills the requirements for what they want in a partner or the idea of what they want in a partner. The most successful relationships are where both parties understand each other and don't set unrealistic expectations on each other to be someone that they can't be or to be someone that they don't want to be, okay? So you it's up to you to create a space. It's up to both parties. And when I say you, I mean both parties in the relationship to create a space where each other feels comfortable to be themselves, that is the greatest gift you can give to your partner. It's the greatest gift your partner can give to you to make you feel, I am so comfortable being myself around you. I don't have to pretend. I can be honest. If something doesn't sit right, I can just say it. That is the best thing you can you can work towards, the best thing you can aim for in a relationship. If you start to work on these things in your relationship, and again, you can apply this to friendships and family. If you can raise this with them so they can work on it you know, in reverse. So they're working on it for your sake. You're going to be able to take that relationship to the next level. It's going to be incredible. Hopefully that was helpful. Hopefully there was something to take away from that. Hopefully you can, you know, raise this with your partner. If you think that you have these problems, if you don't feel comfortable being yourself or comfortable raising, raising it with them, hopefully I've given you ideas on how to do that. Um, and maybe you've identified certain patterns within your own behavior that could, you know, that you could, change up a bit to, for the benefit of, of your partner. Guys, thank you so much for listening today. I uh, love you all so much. The podcast it has been doing so well. Thanks to your support as always. Um, I'm so grateful for the community I have, for the support that I have with you guys, um, for how you share the podcast, the, the growth of the community. It's all thanks to you, um, and how you support me and hopefully how I can support you guys. So I really love what we're building here. So please, whenever possible, keep sharing it. If you're listening to the episode, screenshot it, throw it up on your story. If you think someone can benefit from any of these episodes, please share an episode um, and continue to spread the word, my beautiful bins. As always, be kind to yourselves. Be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.